Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Eleanor, Executive Director at Newton Venture Programme, a joint venture of Local Globe and London Business School. Newton trains aspiring and practicing venture capital professionals with an explicit mission to diversify the VC ecosystem. Previously, Eleanor worked at Palantir Technologies across multiple operational roles during Palantir's period of hypergrowth before direct listing. Eleanor's a passionate hiker, mother, and now gardener. She also dedicates time to mentor, encourage local impact initiatives, and support those in need. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Eleanor, welcome to the European VC. It is so great to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is great. So we've been uh, great backers of the Newton uh, Venture Program for quite some time and really enjoy what you're doing. But we would love to ask you to just tell our audience about you for those that don't yet know, and especially start out with the founding story of the Newton Venture Program, because I think it's important to have the context and who's behind the program and everything. Absolutely. So actually, I just celebrated my two-year work anniversary at Newton on Sunday. So I feel like I can talk (laughs) quite well about what's going on at Newton right now. But the Newton Venture Programme is a a joint venture between Local Globe VC. So they're a pre-seed Series A fund and London Business School. So I have this wonderful mix of the VC practitioner side and you know, the top decile faculty from London Business School coming together and creating a training program for aspiring or practicing venture capitalists or investors, however you want to be (laughs) given the term, because actually that's something we sometimes discuss. But yeah, it's been running now for two years. I joined as we launched our first digital program. The digital program is for people who are quite new to venture capital. They might be working in a VC fund. They might be in government, they might be a doctor or a lawyer or an analyst or someone who's just got some interest around venture capital and just wants to understand the fundamentals because there's loads of great resources online. There's nothing quite like some structured learning from great practitioners and, and faculty to sort of make it come to life. And we get together 60 folks from all around the world once a week on a Wednesday night. And we get them together to work together. They create investment memos. They learn about the sort of VC life cycle, um, valuations, which is very technical. And try and, and sort of give them a good overview of what venture capital is all about. That's, you know, quite tough. It's a lot to learn. And I, I'm sort of two years in and there's so many terms and trends and uh, sort of what are all the people and where's the money flow and how does the money flow? And, and you know, all of these things, we try and, and take them through that journey. But you're doing it in a really great cohort of people who, A, are like, we use blind hiring. So we don't curate our cohorts. We don't know anything about their names, their backgrounds, where they studied, the companies they went to, which is kind of the reverse of what you see and when you're recruiting in venture capital. It's actually fun because it's also the reverse of what you see when you see the programs that are designed to help increase diversity, right? Because they're 
you go for the minorities. You don't go for blind testing. You go deliberately to say, I want people with a different background than what's typical in VC. So that's different take and one that I like a lot, of course. So. Yeah, and really interestingly, the we have diverse cohorts. So we have demographically diverse folks. We have cognitively diverse folks. We have like experiential diverse folks coming together and challenging each other on best practices, what they're doing, what something means. And we kind of force this sort of networking element to it. You know, they have to get to know each other, do negotiations with each other and really sort of bond as a cohort. And they're close. Like, I I see it. I see the way they meet up with each other on LinkedIn or they're, um, you know, they're shouting about seeing each other on Twitter or having cross arguments or, you know, tagging each other in. And so we're creating this lovely community of people who are supportive and trying to drive change. And that is through having a diverse cohort, but it's just happening. You know, we, we do go out there and we say, look, we want to welcome people from overlooked and underestimated backgrounds, but that's not, it's more about making sure that people realize that venture capital is a, is a career opportunity for them. Yeah. We want to break down those barriers to opportunity and access. And that's kind of what what we're doing there. I want to go back a bit just to the origin and say, why did London Business School want to get involved in this? Where, where did that come from? And, you know, how did it, do you know that story? How was it born and everything? Uh, and how does it tie in with the rest of LBS? Here's to here, right? Because, you know, there are programs that are pure, purely run on universities. And then there's things like this. That's definitely not. I think when I joined and I was trying to work out like how it was going to work with such different stakeholders, you know, Saul Klein from Local Globe and Robin Klein, they are huge advocates for changing the face of venture capital. I'm, I'm so lucky because I get to work out of their office and I actually get to see this change in person and like these these sort of driving impacts and supporting local neighborhoods. And, you know, they're not just talking the talk, they're actually doing the work too. And London Business School wanted to run a venture capital program and Saul and London Business School, they got together and, and realized that there was a great opportunity to create this sort of partnership, which would then give access to the VC ecosystem through Robin and Saul's network to start with and then was also able to teach the really technical aspects. Because don't get me wrong, I love VCs, but not necessarily good teachers. <laughs> they can tell you war stories. They can tell you the realities of venture capital and they can tell you how they approach things. But teaching's a really tough gig. You know, you have to address a room of varying experiences and be able to keep people entertained because, you know, Zoom fatigue, etc. You know, it's a real challenge. And so this collaboration just happened in 2019. And, you know, we delivered that first digital program and it was just It was mind-blowing, the outcomes that sort of happened from it. And we actually delivered one in person last year. And that was like just out of this world, amazing, getting together. These are for the, the fellowship program is for people already in venture capital. So three to five years experience. They want to sort of further their career. They want to build a stronger network of people who are doing the same thing as them. They want to increase deal flow. They want to increase even just understanding best practices from other firms. 
And so, yeah, it's it, it, last year when we delivered that, it's over seven months. We get them together three times. And the first time they meet each other, it's always that, you know, awkward, hey, when you meet each other, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> and then yeah. The second time you're, you're, you're sort of saying, hey, how did that deal go? You know, did that network connection help? And the third time they're greeting each other like old friends and, and you know, asking about family. And we're building those longer term relationships that creates, again, that supportive network of people who you can rely on to get you through you know what's next and about 50 percent of this incoming cohort are emerging fund managers so uh or, or aspiring emerging fund managers so yeah. you know there's a lot to be talked about yeah. so i'm just going to do a self-serving question and sorry to our audience for having to listen through this but i am <laughs> i'm helping a university think through how they should engage the venture ecosystem and i'm curious to hear because part of their thoughts are in the direction of saying hmm, should we set up an investment club for our alumni plus a program for the uh, the ones that are actually studying either mba or studying uh, you know full-time uh, studies i'm curious do you know about how London Business School fits this into their ecosystem of pupils and students and, and, and alumni. Yeah, so we work as sort of a separate entity. So Newton, of course, LBS are fully behind in support and support and, you know, we use their faculty, but we essentially work separately. But I know that they have like an internal angel investing group. They make investments. They also have experiential, you know, visits to VC firms where they can go as part of their MBAs. Um, so, but it's not connected to the Newton program as such. So the, the work they do there is separate, and that's what they're doing through their private equity and, and VC area. And you know, th this is what they do well. But Newton is certainly, I, I guess, we could say the focus is really around changing the face of venture capital and opening opportunities and access where. You know, we provide scholarships for those who potentially couldn't afford to do our programs. You know, that's something that we really uh, try and offer as much as possible where we can. You know, financial barriers are huge for people, especially right now. Like cost of living is going through the roof. L&D is certainly low down. But how can people really like accelerate their careers in a space where like they're having to choose between, hey, can I, do I need to heat and feed myself versus like a bit of L&D? And companies are cutting back. You know, there's so many companies. So we're, we're trying to work with our community to open up those opportunities and make them more accessible. Because you just said what you did about how do you actually finance these programs as individuals and everything. I am curious to hear your take on the European venture ecosystems, let's call it talent dev, and their commitment to their employees. Are you seeing, you know based on your experience that European VCs tend to maybe invest a little less in their employees and, and meaning you're seeing the Newton Venture Program often being funded by individuals rather than companies? We're, see, we're seeing a mix, actually. I think uh, we're seeing great investment from VC firms supporting people on both the fundamentals and the fellowship. But we are seeing a lot of self-driven you know, development. And that makes a lot of sense because you also have the emerging fund manager part, right? <laughs> and you don't, you probably don't have many funds <laughs> really paying for the guy who is trying to set up their own fund. Let's just say I won't be outing anyone who's told me they're an emerging fund manager. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, look, it's, it's, it's exciting because people are ambitious. They're so driven. And, you know, the people who I've met who are trying to become an emerging fund manager, there's so much like, 
passion and excitement about it. And, you know, a guy last year, he joined our fellowship. He would already had his pitch deck ready and he iterated on the pitch deck throughout the seven months until he had something like he was ready to go with at the end. And like, if you have a goal or you have an ambition and you can utilize the learning, the community around you, the practitioners in front of you through a, a program to really hone your approach, why not? Like, I just, I think there's quite a lot of naivety around emerging fund managers right now. And there's, there's a lot of people trying to do this. So, you know, my concern is more like, not that people are not capable of doing this, but potentially are going into it slightly naive around how much money is required. You know, the legals are, are insane. <laughs> how much sort of resilience you need, the amount of no's that people are getting right now, yeah. and how much you're going to have to support yourself. And look, you're laughing, Andreas. Like, no, 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 no. I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I thought back to a conversation I had the other day where a guy said he was trying to communicate that he was in this for the long haul. And then he said, so I don't care if the fund takes six or 12 months to raise. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I hope you don't. <laughs> um, because that, that is still, still well below the average. <laughs> so, yeah. On that note, Eleanor, I'd love to ask you, the market is different now than it was six, 12 months ago. And we're seeing more no's, as you're saying. What are you seeing and what, if you dare to do any type of prediction, what are you seeing in the ecosystem? Are you expecting any trends? Are you already seeing anything within your, your cohorts, whether that's the fundamentals or the fellowship? Love to have your take on that. Okay, so I'll break this down into my personal perspective and, and Newton. So for Newton, we want to make sure that people walk away from our programs with a good understanding of what venture capital is and that people walk away really confident that this is a journey for them because I think uh, you really have to have a certain mindset and understand that your capital is at risk. I think there's a, a and, and it's a long game. You know, you're you're not going to see returns for seven to 10 years. And I think that's our responsibility at Newton is to make sure that we people really understand it. And actually, I think empowering people to apply that knowledge in whatever sector they're in. So if they are, you know, going to become a founder in in the future they can talk to venture capital they can talk to investors and that breaks down that barrier or they've built their network up or their ambitions are to work in an investor arm of uh said corporate consultancy whatever you know it just gives them that little bit of an edge the people who are saying i want to break into venture capital really don't understand like at this stage how hard it is to to break in yeah. right now like jobs are really hard to come by i'm hearing like 3,000 applicants for an analyst role. <laughs> what we can do is, is challenge those job descriptions. And I think this is where like what we're trying to do at Newton is like, if it says you must come from a top university from, you know, and have a top degree, like challenging those rhetorics, making them consider people from different backgrounds and experiences that so we don't keep repeating the same homophily groupthink situation in, in firms. And trying to get people to really think about like, well, hang on a minute, how are we ever going to hear or how are we going to diversify our portfolio if we keep investing in the same things, we're going to get the same returns. So that's the sort of Newton aspect. I think what I'm I'm seeing personally around like the future is that, you know, two, like you said, two even two years ago when I joined and there was so much more capital, like it was going out there, it was like, great, deploy, deploy, deploy. <laughs> people are being a, a little bit more and, and I'm trying to get out there 
and meet a lot of investors in the ecosystem and, and like talk to people. But people are being cautious. In a downturn, they tend to like avoid people who don't look like them. And so it affects people who come from overlooked or underestimated backgrounds more here. And we're seeing that in the decline in numbers. You know, Atomico's recent report, you know, it, we've seen a decline in, in investing in, in people of color and, and, and women. And like, this is indicative of a downturn. And so what I'm seeing is, is a lot of emerging fund managers from overlooked and underestimated backgrounds looking to go it alone to try and solve this problem. But it's a societal issue. And I think there has to be an area of like banding together and and like, don't get me wrong, like becoming a, a co-emerging fund manager is, is like becoming a co-founder. You know, you've got to have that longevity of relationship and you've got to be able to get into it together. Predictions, I, I just can't see all of these amazing fund managers succeeding unless they're given the right support and education and that they really understand what they're embarking on. And, you know, again, that's all we can do at Newton. We have a whole module on talking to LPs and, and like thinking about like the longer term on this. But education isn't everything. It's, you know, doing as well. But I, I would love to see a little bit less naivety in the, in the emerging fund managers. May I ask you, uh, and this is coming a bit back to the start of this conversation, but I think it's cool to plug it in here. What is the impact that you're hoping to uh, drive with Newton uh, Venture Program? Maybe I'm a bit close to my cohort members, but I see such amazing impact on an individual level. I see people going into like our programs with this ideology of what being an investor is. And then at the end, joining an SPV and doing investments or joining a syndicate and like trying to make drive positive impact change in that way. That's really cool. We're seeing people get jobs in the VC industry. We're seeing people like even just meeting up, sharing deal flow, like it's hilarious because I, I have .vc on my email address. And so I get a lot of deal flow. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I do ask the founders and I say, look, thanks so much for sharing. Can I share it with the network? And, you know, we're seeing investments being made. And especially from the fellowship, we had folks co-investing. We've had people investing in each other's funds. We've had somebody who wanted to become an advisor in ESG. She's gone and made that happen for a couple of VC firms now. Seeing people's journeys change and solidify what they want to do, what their ambitions are, that's awesome. And seeing the friendships that are created on a grander scale, you know, Newton's ambition is that, you know, the venture ecosystem should be more representative of the world we live in. And so the more we can encourage people who want to drive change, want to drive positive impact into the ecosystem or at least have knowledge about venture capital, We'll see that impact push forward over the next five, 10 years. It's just, you know, it's a long game. And with the numbers going down at the moment, it, it's hard to swallow. There's no doubt about the bias that is only made worse when <laughs> when we're in a time where, there, where there's less money. The IBM solution becomes all the more attractive to everyone, <laughs> unfortunately. I'd love to ask you, the Newton Venture Program. Why Newton? I'm curious. The name? Yeah. Yeah, it made me laugh because I've listened to a couple of other episodes and naming a VC firm is one of my favorite things and the memes that go around <laughs> uh, around that. But, you know, luckily with Newton, it is named after a mathematician, physicist, you know, astronomer. <laughs> so there is an element of that Newton comes from someone who is, you know, a key figure in revolution and 
and that's where Newton's about. And and I think it, it's really as simple as that. I can't I can't even give a more exciting answer <laughs> to that one. But you know, unfortunately, not named after a tree or a bird or a, a place. Um, <laughs> that there could have been something with uh, Local Globe and, or LSE having, you know, some tie to Newton or the, it, Newton had already always been an important figure. He's my great, blah, blah, great, blah, great blah. grandfather. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or simply just that it's, uh, it, it could have been Saul Klein's, you know, the first time he realized, I want to go into STEM. And for that reason, you know, <laughs> Newton was the guy who really made me realize that. So for that yeah. reason... And the apple fell on Saul's head, and yeah, like yeah, exactly, know, exactly. And yeah, bumped yeah. his head, did some seed investments. They turned out to oh. be pretty good, even though he had an had a brain injury. But <laughs> but that's VC for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I would love to ask you a bit on the personal side, Eleanor, because now we've spoken a lot about you know the Newton Venture f- Program. But I'm curious to hear because you're a bit of an odd fish, especially on our podcast, because you're non-VC, highly engaged in the VC ecosystem. So I'd love to hear you looking in on the sector. What is your perspective? I love that you just described me as an odd fish, which is definitely up the top there of like names to be called this morning. My my (laughs) five-year-old is a competition for you. <laughs> Last time I, I gave someone a name, it was uh, Anna North on our uh, Super Angel podcast. And I referred to them as a power couple, which I also got in trouble for. Or at least they laughed a lot and said, we're going to talk about that for a while. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently naming people is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mind old fish, but I, I do agree with you. It's interesting because my ambition personally is not to become an investor. I may do some angel investing, but potentially, you know, I don't want to join a, a VC firm despite my sort of operator background that could potentially be quite a good skill here. But my perspective, so I'm quite excited by the people aspect. And what is a shame is the performative nature of venture capital, because I think behind the posts, the content, are a lot of really great people who are hiding behind what they feel is like the game they have to play to be seen and heard. And I think that's tough because, you know, and I I have to do it too. Like I have to talk about what Newton's doing. You know, if you are running something or you're like believing in the people, there's an element of like the noise on Twitter and LinkedIn is just crazy. And as somebody who's trying to learn about venture capital, which was me two years ago, and even still now I'm learning every day. There is a lot of differing opinions, very challenging people who are trying to push their own agenda as the best practice of doing something. This is what we're trying to break down because when we get together panels for our our programs, that's when that comes out. We bring together top decile practitioners and we put them all together And you ask them the same question, you know, how do you know whether a founder's worth investing in? And someone's response will be like, I've made a decision within five minutes. And someone is like, I take about, you know, a good 45 minutes conversation, really get to know them. As somebody trying to break it or like understand venture capital, it's very easy to get led down by the people who are shouting more and Mm -hmm. are talking more online. And that's not necessarily the best practice. And so you have to get quite good at understanding your own personal values and checking that they're aligning with what people are saying online and then try and break that down. And 
and really try and pave your own path. I think that's really difficult as somebody, you know, new to venture capital. There's so many different terms and trends and things to understand. And I, and I, that's yeah. okay. um, I very much agree with you. I also think that this is very linked to what you started out saying with the naivety of emerging fund managers, because VC is a very tough game. It's tough to be a great founder and it's tough to want to be the one who is allowed to back the best founders on behalf of someone else with someone else's capital. It's, it's not something to be taken lightly. I had an email conversation not too long ago with a team that were considering dropping part of their nomenclature because it had become very trendy and then less so. This was in specific, it was Web3, right? They were considering... Was it, was, it was in Web3. <laughs> no, we're, we're considering dropping that in, in, in what we how we talk about our fund and blah, blah, blah. And what I said to them was, well, the way I think about venture is that being a good VC, meaning not being a good employee in a VC firm, because that skill, that's a lot of things, you know, doesn't apply there, what I'm about to say. But when it comes to starting and launching a firm, it is practically your professional personality in the sense that it's not something you just devise over to a two-month sprint where you decide that this is what I want to do and, and then come up with a great structure because there can practically only be one answer to what you need to build as a VC firm based on what you already have, meaning, and I'm, the reason I'm saying it's like your personality is, well, if you are Web3, if you have been in Web3 since 2015, and have been doing investments here under that thesis, then you should be racing on that thesis and using that word. And if there's not, you know, LP appetite for that, well, I don't think it's the problem of this sector. I think the, it's the problem with you and what you're building. And for that reason, I, I think that there are many people that are preoccupied with thinking that they can engineer something when in the end, there's almost only one answer to what you're trying to build as a GP. Because it's so given by your own history, what you believe in, what you're good at, the network you have, all of that stuff comes together to form your venture firm. And it's not just a decision that you make. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important to sort of pull upon like your own personal experience and background to really develop your thesis. There's no point copying what everyone else is doing because you're not going to believe it from here. And I think LPs will hear that in the way you try and sell you or, or your firm, you know, unless you're an excellent salesperson, a liar, which I am not. So. <laughs> it's a lifelong engagement, right? You can't do many yeah. things that, you know. You'll get found out. Yeah. Yeah. So in that sense, I think that the whole construction of a VC firm is a bit more set in stone based on where you come from historically, um, meaning not university and, and and social group, but everything behind you. I think that you're locked in on the path that you have. David and I couldn't decide tomorrow to start investing in startups and then do a good job. We've got a great platform to reach great VCs and angels and beginning LPs. We can't flip that into being something else. <laughs> can't start doing only Web3 funds. <laughs> It's just not the network we have around us. And I, I, I kind of feel like not everyone understands that. I think as an outsider looking in, I think the more people I speak to, everyone does have dreams. I think you have to stick to those to really live out to your like true beliefs and values. And, you know, you can't be something you're not in this sort of world. Yeah, it'd be too difficult. 
There's many places where you can fake it till you make it, but I really think that VC is not one of them because everything you need to build the trust up front and then afterwards you need to then execute for years and years and years. <laughs> it's not a fake it till you make it industry. I really don't think so. Do your due diligence. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> On that topic or connected to that topic, Eleanor, you said something cool, which is, you do your best to try and pick the best speakers out there. And then you have one saying, I, I make an investment decision in five minutes. I make an invest, the other one saying, I make an investment decision in 45 minutes. I think that's incredibly insightful to the point of like, I truly believe that venture is about contrarian thinking. That's why it's high risk. That's why it's exciting. That's why it's funding the future. But that also means there's no right way to do it. Another incredibly interesting thing about venture is it's incredibly hard to say what is a good investor today. There's no way to say it actually, right? We can say who has been a good investor and that it takes like 10 years, seven years, 12 years, something like that, right? But that we're kind of limited, right? We can't really say these guys are the best investors. So I, can't, I have a two-sided question here for you. One is how do you pick your speakers first and foremost? Going after big brands is a way. Many do that. I think it works to some extent. It doesn't mean they're the best investors out there, right? They're great investors for sure and have been great investors. It doesn't mean they're the best out there. And then the second one is, you know, your own reflection on this topic of there's no right way to do venture, especially early stage, right? So how the hell do you educate people on it when there's no right way to do it, right? Okay, so number one, on picking speakers. So we have a lot of people who reach out to us to want to help and support. And, you know, that's amazing. And we do tend to pull people in in different ways. When we try and pick speakers, we try and bring people from different backgrounds together. I think this is also to the point of like, you can pick big names because they have got this track record and they've got the war stories, which are really insightful because you can learn from them. But we try and pick people for who've been investing over different periods of time. They have different ways of going about it. You know, we've had people from firms who are not out there at all. Like they just don't do any social media come and speak. And they've been some of the most impactful conversations and honesty that's come out there. We try and pick people who are uh, are able to talk competently on a specific subject, whether that's like investment values or raising a fund or talking to LPs or being a good board member. Like, and, and this is why my role is so important. Like I try and meet as many people as I can and build good personal relationships to really hear what they value and then bringing other people together with different ideas that's kind of how we curate the speaker panels or even when we bring people in to talk about a specific subject it's about somebody who's willing to be honest candid and actually I will say I haven't really met anyone and maybe that's just through the nature of like what we do at Newton but I haven't met anyone who's not willing to talk about the hard things and I think that's really great. It means that people are sharing the difficulties. But for me, it's it's really about picking people who will contradict each other so that it becomes very clear to our learners that there is no right way of doing it. And that comes to your second point. Reflection on there's no right one right way to do that. And I think there are so many external things that, that can impact, you know, going through downturns, economic issues, like wars, uh, earthquakes, like there's so many external circumstances going on that really impact what's happening right now. You can only do your best 
and back up what you're doing with either good due diligence, having good mentors, support networks around you, you know, speaking to people honestly about X, Y, Z. I'm belonging to like one of our fellowship WhatsApps. They're, they're checking in with each other. Hey, has anyone heard of this? Like, what do you think of this idea? Like, the more you don't do or make decisions in a siloed way, the better. And, and I think that's where you can make an informed decision to do it the right way for you or the firm you're working for or, or whatever. Because I think the more you push your own agenda and don't and stop learning and stop listening, that's when you're going to get into trouble because learning is like a lifelong thing. You shouldn't stop learning at any point. And which is why like, you know, podcasts that like you guys are doing and like, you know, ask, asking those questions just might, somebody listening today might be like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Like I'm pushing my own agenda a little bit too much. Maybe I need to take a step back and really listen to what's going on. So Eleanor, there's one thing I have to ask you because you've talked about naivety in venture or at least in emerging managers. We have come from a period with a lot of tourists and we're of course now all you know kind of seeing fewer tourists we're also seeing articles about people feeling that they got uh, catnip to come into venture by vc firms and blah 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 i'm a bit like okay if you're a private equity guy who could get catnip by vc to think that this is gonna be a quick scheme you're probably not that great of an investor but i'll leave that hanging but i'd love to ask you Because you're really at the forefront, right? You're seeing, you're, if anyone would see a drop very quickly, a significant drop in people that want to go into a sector, it would probably be you. So I'm curious to hear, have you seen a significant drop over the last six, nine months of people wanting to really, and you know, this is not tying it to, to, to the Newton Venture Program, but wanting to actually apply? No, we're, we're oversubscribed every time. Um, yeah, yeah, but you can be four times oversubscribed. You can be yeah, two no, times. Right? It's growing, it's growing a lot. Growing. It's a point where we, we might include another digital program a year, which is great. But I think we have to be very sensible about, you know, I heard some time ago that venture capital was the new consulting. You know, it's the new trendy thing to go into. And I, I think that, again, comes down to why Newton exists. If we sort of place ourselves as an educator around venture capital and you can apply that knowledge in whatever way you want and we're not a surefire you know you're going to get a job in venture straight after taking part in our program program then that's I think we're doing what we set out to do and you can apply that like I said earlier like we're not seeing a drop at this point But that's because we're keeping up with like what we, we constantly iterate. We constantly change the way we do things. And, you know, I'm really lucky. I've got a team of great people around me who are constantly challenging like what we're doing and like what we can expand and, and teach people about. And that's why we like push on what's next. It's not just the program, but it's the community that's built afterwards and like access to events and like the meetups and the, the networking, the deal flow, the sector resource changes, like we bring in partners to come and talk about what they're doing. So it becomes less about the program, but about like the community that's being built afterwards and the impact that that's having. And I think if people view it like that, okay, I don't really know anything about venture capital, but I really think I should do because of like what's happening. You know, nine out of the top 10 companies were venture backed. You can't ignore that kind of, you know, importance of how companies are getting funding nowadays i don't think we will see a, a drop yet but i will let you know when that happens <laughs> <laughs> when that happens. No, no. so i i actually so i have um 
bit of a mentor who is super senior and also late in life. And every time I talk to him, he says, so Andreas, I guess fundraising right now isn't the greatest thing, is it? Huh? <laughs> and I, every time I have to let him down a bit and say, well, yes, the industry is definitely shrinking, but we are a tiny minuscule part and we're doing something that no one has really done before. So the trajectory we're on, the fact that the market grow, goes from 100 to, to 70 doesn't really impact us that much because there's so much free water to attack. And I really think that it's the same thing when it comes to the programs like the ones you're running, that venture is growing incredibly in importance around the world and in our societies. And for that reason, the programs like what you're building, they're needed in so many places. Most universities don't teach venture at all. If you don't understand venture, you don't understand how you built the biggest companies that are around today and the next one that will come. So I absolutely understand where you're coming from in that reply. And your point on universities, you know, we really want to attract people who have potentially gone through PhDs and don't really know what they want to do next. Academia, you can get trapped into that world quite easily. But we really believe in a lot of the sort of superpowers you get through going through a PhD and how you can apply that into the venture world and close the sort of innovation gaps between STEM and VC be extremely powerful to any like innovation economic situation going on in any country. And so the more people who understand how venture works, whether they become a founder with their ML uh, innovation or a biotech invention, if we can empower people to be able to talk to VCs, then we start seeing a gap closed. You know, we did a report last year and it, it found that it was more likely if a founder had a PhD that they were going to get invested by a, an investor with a PhD. Because you don't understand those milestones in STEM. You know, someone might say to you, oh, if I can duplicate this cell, that's a milestone. But unless that investor has like a biotech background, would they be able to really understand what that milestone means in the, in the development of that idea or product? And so by training people up with PhDs to either become investors themselves or, you know, work in investment firms or angel invest. You know, those are really exciting points. So yeah, we're, we're, that's also a, an aspect we're trying to look at. I love that. I will not comment because I think our audience is tired of hearing me talk about biotech and how it takes specialized investors to do it. It's time for the quick fire round, Eleanor. And on the quick fire, we ask quick answer questions. I'm going to play with it a bit, shift it up a bit, because the first question we typically ask our guests, which are typically investors, is what areas, technologies or sectors excite them the most that other people don't really feel that excited about? The question I will ask you is slightly different, which is feel free to comment on that. But Based on the different people, angels, VCs, emerging VCs, whatever you saw in the program, what were the most kind of counterintuitive kind of sector focuses that you've seen within your cohorts? We give people a, an exercise where they have to go and spend Newton's fictitious fund with uh, some up and coming businesses. And unfortunately, they're not counterintuitive. They're all impact focused. They all want to go and they're being very considered about the founders makeup and a lot of climate tech. So, you know, I, unfortunately, it's not quite on the uh, counterintuitive side, more on the like exactly what we want to see coming out of the program. But I, I think for me, Personally, I'm very interested around femtech, especially around sort of anything to do around the menopause and, you know, what that technology looks like in the future. You know, we've got 
Vera Health and Electra Health are like really like working on these aspects that's something that's going to affect 50% of the population. And, and, you know, it's certainly something that I think is exciting and we should see more investments in, but I'm still not seeing it enough. And I certainly wasn't the top of the list of the folks from our, our program looking into. It's very much like climate tech, farm tech. That's cool. Second question. What were the top tips you yourself heard from the different sessions, programs, guests that you've had for emerging VCs across Europe? Build resilience, get a supportive network around you and don't go in naively. <laughs> I love that and how that connects to the first bit of our conversation. So if you're just tuned in for the quick fire, go back and listen to that. Third and final question, and this one is for you personally, Eleanor. What is the most counterintuitive learning you've had yourself since you've deep dived in this wonderful world of venture capital? that you have to shout to be heard. There are plenty of great VCs out there working hard without being performative about it. And when you say shout, you mean right in caps on top of pictures with a white font with a small dark black etch on it, right? Hear me describing a meme, of course. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a million, Eleanor. Thanks a million for joining us. It was awesome. Thanks so much. And thanks for the important work you're doing with uh, the Newton Venture Program. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc.